Hey, welcome back. It's time for another edition of Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this disease and how they really deal with it on a daily basis. And today, well, we're going to emphasize the education part of it, a little bit of hope and inspiration with a man who's out trying to educate the world about this and advocate for its eradication. We've got with us uh, Rick Pinson from the, and do I get this right, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Okay, all right, there we go. I always want to give it a different title, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. We had the uh, founder with us, and you are what? You serve as their advocacy chair. Yes, I do, for the last five years or so. I sort of get what advocacy chair is. You're advocating for something, but what do you advocate for? For legislative change, for money, for funding? What is it that you're advocating for? Well, all of the above. It's uh, not maybe commonly known that 80% of the pancreatic cancer research funding comes from the federal government. I didn't know that. No. Okay. So every every year, of course, there's a brand new budget at the at the federal level, and we are always uh, advocating each year, uh, newly advocating for a new new budget so that the uh, research effort can continue. There are two basic buckets of money, if you will, at the federal level. One is the National Cancer Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. Right. And the other is there's a uh, can- uh, pancreatic cancer research program within the Department of Defense. Within the Department of Defense? Okay, wait a second. got to explain that one to me. Why would defense be handling pancreatic cancer? Well, uh, back uh, several years when they got started, it, it was, uh, I, I believe, Senator McCain, if I'm not wrong, but uh, I'm not uh, totally sure of that. One more reason to honor his memory, okay. Yes, but, but anyway, it was thought that, well, pancreatic cancer affects a lot of military members and a lot of their families, and perhaps we can uh, also help out on the research effort with something in the Department of Defense. So, And, you know, when the congressional uh, committees vote for budgets— if it's under defense, I would assume it goes through easier than if it's in the National Institute of Health. I don't know. We're spending all this money for all this stuff. What do we get for it? Yes, that's exactly right. And it ties into something that uh, Roberta Luna, our Orange County affiliate, well, mission chair, was involved with. She's the about. mission person. She's, she's on the mission here. She is. <laughs> she is. But about five or six years ago, the PANCAN pushed to have passed a... Uh, bill called the Recalcitrant Cancer Research Act in order to direct the National Cancer Institute to come up with a uh, prioritized framework of how to attack pancreatic cancer. And the way they got that passed was just what you said, by uh, attaching it to a defense-related bill. And it, uh, as you said, sailed through, I'm sure, much more easily than it would have had it been a standalone thing. And what was the bill called? Recalcitrant. Is I had to even look it up, so I'm making, I'm making sure it says a person with an obstinately uncooperative attitude here. That's that's exactly what it is. And it, it wasn't just pancreatic cancer either, but it was, I believe, 10 different cancers who had a five-year 
survival rate of less than 50 percent wow so we all uh, a lot of the work we do is just not uh, solely for pancreatic cancer but we team with advocacy groups uh, for other cancers so we put together a framework along with these other advocacy groups and got it passed and you know it's still being worked on today well, I know we're in the weeds a little bit for some, but for some who are uh, in the midst of this journey and wondering what's the state of research, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today here in funding and all this, because it's, uh, it's an important issue that probably doesn't get enough attention here. But for those who have just tuned in and may not have followed the previous episodes, I'm going to keep doing this for a while because I don't know where people drop in on this uh, series, and remind people that pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States. Little pancreatic cancer. And I say little because there's only an estimated 60,000 Americans diagnosed each year. But of that, 48,000 will die because pancreatic cancer is among the world's toughest to fight and survive with a five-year survival rate of just 10%, double from where it was when the great Roberta Luna first entered her journey 19 years ago and was given only a 5% chance. Uh, she's made it for 19 years. She's one of that, uh, that, that percentage of fighters still with us and still advocating. Go back and listen to her earlier episode if you haven't. It's a fascinating story. But here's this disease. Doesn't affect perhaps as many, not nearly as many people as breast cancer, lung cancer, other sorts of cancer, and yet much deadlier outcome than that. Is that deadly outcome? We've talked about it in your opinion. Is that because hard to diagnose. Your pancreas is in the middle of your body. I don't see it. I don't touch it until it's too late. The symptoms can be anything. My back hurts. That's not pancreatic cancer. It's just I exercise too much. Or is it because there isn't enough funding to do this? Would, would better funding uh, raise the survival rate? Well, I believe so. But and, and you hit the probably the main reason that the survival rate is so low is that it's just very hard to detect early. Uh, I know my own experience with uh, losing my wife, Linda, uh, to pancreatic cancer about 10 years ago was she had some vague symptoms for a long time, but, uh, you know, stomach ache, back pain. Those, right. Yeah, could be written off to anything, and there's no reason for you to run in and get a, a CT scan every time you have a stomach ache. So right. typically before... Uh, you know, when a symptom finally presents itself that's so severe that you need to go in and get it checked out, well, it, it often is already... Or they've checked the list and all the other things. Not this, not this, not this. Maybe it could be this. I doubt it, because that's probably not it, but maybe to be safe, we'll go look at this. Yeah, thing. and checking off all those things off the list takes time, and it's time that you don't have. Since you opened the door, let's crack it open a little bit further. Obviously, you did lose your wife to pancreatic cancer 10 years ago. Give us a quick synopsis of that. How how did you discover it? Was she an otherwise healthy person? How quickly did it take her life? How did you handle that? Walk us through that journey, short or long. Yeah, well, Linda was always very active. She was a marathon runner and going to the gym all the time, extremely active, extremely healthy. And it was just a bomb that was totally dropped on us uh, New Year's Eve of 2009. Wow. We had gone out to a party, you know, eating and drinking, whatever. And when we got home, she had some really quite severe stomach pains. So I rushed her over to the emergency room, of course not thinking 
Yeah, she anything ate, ate something, anything. ulcer, something, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Something that would be quickly remedied, medication given, in a few days this is going to go away. So then they were running tests, and you know, it was just taking a long time for them to come back to us as to what might be wrong. And right, oh, what's going on here? This should have been a yeah. pretty routine thing to catch. And along about 5 a.m. in the morning, doctor came in well we we want to run a ct scan we've got some suspicions as to what might be going on here yikes like well okay still having no idea what that might mean right uh, a couple hours later they come back with the results that uh, well here's a here's a clearly visible tumor and it certainly looks to us like i mean you should check with an oncologist to be sure but it certainly looks to us like she's got pancreatic cancer that's like I can hear the sign in your voice. I can hear the sign in the audience. Oh. I mean, a, a bomb has <laughs> dropped on you in a holiday setting, out of the blue. And, and and you say the thing I keep hearing over and over again that disturbs me even more. I want to believe somehow, like a little kid, if I stay healthy and exercise, these bad things will stay away from me. I look at those who have lung cancer and I say, well, hey, you smoked, didn't you? Well, you know, I, I feel really bad for you, but you could have not smoked or something, right? Uh, heart disease, uh, were, were you eating bad, not exercising? Ah, you could have done something here. I don't hear that I could have done anything to stop pancreatic cancer, at least not that we know of right now. No, nothing that we've conclusively proven. If you do this, then uh, then it won't yeah. happen. If you stand in your head and uh, hop around <laughs> times daily, you won't get pancreatic cancer. I yeah. don't hear that. Or eat something or do something. I don't hear that preventative uh, cure. No, and uh, that comes back to research. It's one of the things we're looking at is how can we detect this? I mean, A, can we prevent it? That would be best. Right. But B, can we detect it early enough? Why can't we do a blood uh, test as other cancers can show up in the blood? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a major focus of our research. We haven't found that protein in the blood or anything that we can look at that's, that's reliable. Yeah, because uh, everybody goes now, particularly over a certain area, age. I'm over in my 60s, so recommended I go get a thing. And they test. That's how they see if I've got prostate cancer, mm-hmm. if my PSA, whatever that is, is elevated. Um, there are other sorts of cancers that I understand. I don't know what they are, but are detectable as well. They run kind of a generic scan. Not all cancers are detectable that way, but some are. Mm-hmm. But clearly this one is not. Not yet. We're we're certainly hoping we come up with something where just as part of your routine annual physical, you could run a yeah blood test, saliva test, something that's not right. invasive is just part of your routine. And exam. Say, oops, there's a tumor growing. We better check this out. There's some spike in something, and they go in and catch this thing early. Because yes. if you catch it early, I would assume maybe I'm wrong that you could radiate it with some degree of success, zap it, or perhaps cut it out yes that's exactly right if it's localized uh, in fact surgery is really considered the uh, closest thing to a cure that we have if it's uh, localized you can go in cut it out have margins around what you've cut out that, that's really that's but if really it's grown too big and it's intertangled itself tangled in i guess somehow or at some point they become inoperable yes and and that was my experience too with linda after three or four weeks you know, of trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, what we, the heck is this? Right? We had uh, you know, gotten to a surgeon at USC who felt he could go in and, and take it out. So we scheduled her for surgery. She went into the operating room. Of course, several of us were in the waiting room waiting for her, and then uh, the doctor came out 
you know, they had told us, okay, this will be maybe a five or six hour procedure. But right. after about 45 minutes, he came out and said, well, you know, we got in there and we found that it had spread. It, we, we couldn't tell that till we went in because the, the metastases were too small to show up on the CT scan. But once we got in there, it, it has spread. So they've, they've figured out it, it just doesn't benefit the patient to try to do a surgery and take part of it out because by the time they recover, everything else has grown and yeah. you just haven't made any progress. So, Wow. All right. How long did this journey last? Uh, almost three years. Uh, okay. After the surgery failed, we were fortunate to get a couple of good oncologists who prescribed the state-of-the-art chemo at the time, and it was extremely successful for uh, quite a while. You know, the, Any hope in targeting that? I, I read more and more, the future is I somehow inject it, and it only goes to this one spot, as opposed to the old idea chemo that a doctor once described to me as trying to remove a sliver with a sledgehammer. You sledgehammer the entire body trying to find that one little sliver of cancer. Oh, exactly. The, uh, one of the main focuses of our research now is, uh, is looking at the genetic makeup and specific mutations that present on a, on a cancer. Everybody, I mean, we, we use the umbrella term pancreatic cancer, but when you get right down into the genetic level, there are a lot of different mutations that might ah, be involved. There in isn't one pancreatic cancer. There's different types. Some are more aggressive. Some are different. Yes, exactly. And, and we're finding that each type of mutation warrants a different type of treatment or a different type of chemo. Or, Does it ever go into remission? Some cancers just magically stop growing, and they don't know why, and then they restart, or they never start, or... It, it does happen. I mean, I've, I've read of stories like that, just miraculous remissions, and you really can't point to anything that you did or didn't do that caused it. I'm uh, a Catholic, so I guess I'd go to Lourdes in France or something. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, did, we did that. We you did that. We did that. We got some uh, holy water from Lourdes, and, uh, and uh, we, we tried everything. People we, may be smiling or rolling their eyes, but at that moment, what other choices do you have but to be unconventional and try anything and everything, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, why not? Right. Why not? Why make the decision yourself that something's not going to work without trying it? That doesn't make any sense at all. So we did we did do that. So in the end, it took her life. Um, yes. What was that three-year period like? Um, ups and downs, hope, and then lack of hope, and was it I must have been stressful. I don't know. You, you tell us as much as you feel like sharing here, but I'm, I'm trying to pass this along to others who may be looking ahead and saying, what will the next few years be like here? Well, the, the first phase is is very tough, and I'm sure everybody has this experience where, in our case, we're in some emergency room and we're told, oh, okay, she's got pancreatic cancer. Okay, right. what does that mean? Right. What's the prognosis? Of course, at the emergency room, they didn't really have any information. They, they don't tell you help. there. Yeah, they no. just say, go talk to somebody. So then, uh, you know, we go home. Of course, that, then it's New Year's Day. Nothing's open. No doctors are open. Oof. Blah blah blah. So we've got the whole day to just kind of be in despair and think the worst. Right. And uh, wow, is there anything we can do? In fact, we—I don't believe the first day we even called and uh, talked to anybody about it because, like, well, they're going to have a bunch of questions for us, and we don't have any answers for them anyway. 
That would be the worst for me because my mind would run wild. Oh, well, it does. It does. Like, is she going to be gone next week? Today? Is it, How painful is it going to be? Yes. And you, you don't think of anything except the, the worst possible scenario. Right. Some people think, oh, no, I can... They're always positive. My father was always positive. The glass is half empty for me. I'm always looking at the worst case scenario. Uh huh. Well, and and we got more to that after after the first few days, and you're get in a mode of calling around, research the internet, who can help, what what are the possibilities, what can does we the do? internet help or hurt? And I say I'll say this for I'll, I'll explain that before I let you answer here. On the one hand, we want knowledge, and 20 years ago when Roberta. Uh, started her journey i suspect the internet was not very if it was around it wasn't very filled with stuff on the other hand you can get so many wild ideas crazy theories confusing contradictory maybe even ideas it may it may not help it may just confuse you yeah well it's hard and you touched on it earlier where you're in kind of a mode of desperation and grasping at straws and what can we do so sometimes you can see things on the internet that are just complete rubbish but you you reach for it you reach for it yeah you right. do in, in our case the internet was a, a godsend because through that just through a random search we were able to find pancan there you go which is how pancan was founded because uh the original uh, founder pamela couldn't get any good information yes yes she tried to do the research and was shocked to find wow there's just nobody around that can help so she found an organization that uh, that does help right so in that in that sense that helped us out a lot but on the other side you you read the statistics and uh, you know bad news and it's it's just something that doesn't help so very very early on linda said well you you do all the research stuff and all that i i don't want to expose myself to yeah, any of this and negativity and, and right, if, there's, yeah. if there's something that you and you're the guy the guy's gonna re- you seem like a research kind of guy i don't know what you did as a living but uh <laughs> no engineer so okay you're, you're exactly right <laughs> you strike me as that analytical type here yeah, yes so uh, that that worked out well so i could uh mean it didn't help me out sometimes emotionally but at least i was able to you felt like you're doing something yeah Yeah, exactly very good point yeah at what point do you ever give up hope or do you fight to the last breath here Uh, does there you know the the stages of grief denial except you know anger acceptance all that stuff is that a is that a typical kind of journey that I, i think it is i think uh after the initial period of shock and uh you know, needing to do some research and what do we do and getting our support system in place, uh, doctors and support groups and build your team. Yeah. Build, yep, yeah, exactly. Build your team. Then, then it became more like, okay, well, let's we we can do something about this. So let's let's fight it out as long as we can. And you know, we we have some great examples of people that have done tremendously well for a long time and she lived for three years we've had people in here live for three months yes exactly i've met uh, many of those and you know roberta's here in the room and she was one of the inspirations for us uh, as she has been she is she's the inspiration for the show we'll talk about her a lot i know she doesn't like that Uh that she's sitting off camera here all right so after it took your wife's life and i hope i'm not saying that too abruptly here but uh it, it you you fought the good fight and in the end it won, but not without extra years or extra time. Mm-hmm. Why stay involved? This is the question I keep asking because I'm not sure 
I would want to keep thinking about it anymore. I might just put it out of my mind. That was not a happy period, and I'm going to move on to something else. Good luck for everybody else fighting it, but Mm -hmm. I'm done. I did my time. I did my. It's like going to the battle. I did my uh, tour of duty, and I'm done. I started out like that, actually, after she passed, is, oh, I've got to put this behind me, and I don't want to be reminded of anything that pulls me back to what we went through. But then after sort of recovering from that, I felt that, well, that's not a good way to honor and remember Linda. I think that's the key. You feel the need. uh, Those who have continued seem to do it out of a sense of purpose, honor, Make some sense out of it. Mm-hmm. Help others. You know, there's a certain, I don't know, feeling that comes over. Not everybody. And I certainly understand both sides of it. I'm not sure which one. I I, I hope not to be tested in that way. I'm not sure which. I. It's like battle. You mm-hmm. know, you think you're going to be brave. I don't know. Some some the bravest men run, the the the, the meekest men rise up and, and uh, do incredible things. I don't know until you're put through that test. Uh, how you respond like veterans you know there my father was a veteran of, of world war ii for many years he didn't want to talk about it touch it my dad is the same and then later on in life he became more of an advocate and talking about somehow it he, he, with enough time he felt the need to talk about it mm-hmm. and do something about it he volunteered uh, things in museums yeah. and stuff well, like i that. imagine when he when he felt that he could help others by telling his story and by pitching in and helping out yeah. doing whatever that was probably what he needed to most of my years talk. growing up though no, we'd all wanted to press him you know world war ii was the defining thing of my baby boom generation we all eagerly wanted to hear we watched combat on television we wanted to hear we watched uh, 12 o'clock high we wanted to watch hear what it was like mm-hmm. he didn't want to talk about it at all yeah well, understandable. Yeah. I, I, I get that. And, and not only to, for me, not only to uh, honor Linda, but all the people that I've met through PanCan, I felt that I wanted to stay involved to help them out as well. Well, let's help them out by giving, and we've got five minutes left here. Give us a state of uh, the latest research. You talked about funding. So there are two funding programs at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're always urging to get more. Are there any bills up for consideration? Any? Because you're fighting for a thousand other sources, all reaching for federal dollars here, mm-hmm. uh, and some with far larger organizations and advocacy groups, I suspect. So it, I would suspect it is a tough fight to even stay in the game. It is. We've been at it for, I guess, 25 years or so now. We've built up a, a very strong team of advocates, and I, I think where we've had our most success is by being face-to-face with the decision-makers on just a regular, constant basis. Any shout-outs, local, state, federal-level people who have adopted this, who've lost somebody to pancreatic cancer or a survivor themselves, I don't know. They're, they're, they're perhaps there's somebody who has taken this cause on and is a champion for it, or maybe not. Maybe it's maybe you don't have that advocate yet. Well, two, two House members that have been... Uh, at least since I've been involved, our strongest supporters have been uh, Representative Alan Lowenthal in Long Beach and Representative Mark DeCano out in Riverside. Every year we have a number of uh, legislative asks. Um, just whatever we need, they're generally the first ones to sign on to that. They're, they see, and, and any stories quickly on there, just something they sought and adopted, or do they have a personal connection to it in any way? Well, I think they've had 
family friends involved with it. I'm, I'm Usually there's some totally. personal connection that gets you. Often, to and you, you may not necessarily know about it, but that that's often what something alerts them and they become an advocate for this. Yeah. They use their position. All right. So and in terms of so federal dollars are being raised. Is there any other independent research going on? Are there drug companies? That doesn't seem like a drug could yeah. cure this. But Well, I, I should also say beyond the federal money that organizations like PanCan will also privately fund their own mm. uh, research grants. I said, well, 80% of the money goes from the, or comes from the federal government. That still means 20% comes from private sources. So right. I know every, every year PanCan raises money through their uh, purple strides and other donor programs and and, and where fun. do where do we where does that money go i guess that's everybody always wants to know so i'm going to advocate and give money good for this is it those dollars that go to support research are there universities specializing in this are there places that are yes okay yes so we'll we'll have researchers uh send us proposals and we have a uh, board of uh made up of a number of medical specialists who will evaluate those proposals and decide which ones we can fund. And there are other organizations that, that do the same thing. So there, there's a strong uh, backup to whatever the federal government is doing. And, uh, and it's good to have that as a hedge. You know, if we ever hit, hit a point in the federal government where they decide to cut the federal budget, you don't want to have anything. Seems doubtful in the short term. Seems, seems doubtful. <laughs> yeah, I know. They can keep printing money, I right. guess, forever. But, uh, you know, you, you, you never want to uh, put all your eggs in one basket. Having said that, any hope, anything interesting happening out there, just percolating along? Or, for example, Alzheimer's, they were in here the other day on another show. And there's some potential breakthrough where they might be able, they think they might have found the protein or a protein that it could be an early indicator of Alzheimer's where mm-hmm. there have been none. Uh, so it could be potentially, a hasn't been determined yet, but first some studies out suggesting it. Anything hopeful on the horizon here? Well, the genetic research I mentioned earlier, that's, that's a big one because if we can identify different targets for treatments and come up with uh, more specialized treatments for each of those targets, then we get away from what we've always done historically, which is, okay, we've identified pancreatic cancer. We have maybe two or three drugs that we can just throw at it and hope hope something radiate the whole body and hope we get it here yeah kind of the shotgun approach where we're just going to blast everything in sight and hope hope we hit something but now we now we can uh, move to a more much more targeted laser-like approach to treatment where is most of the fun are there any universities specializing in this any research centers you want to shout out to John Hopkins seems to come up periodically. Yes, well, that, that's a, that's a big one, and there there are a number of them uh, across the country, and I probably wouldn't start to list them because I would leave some out. Yeah, right. But uh, another big focus of research is using our own immune system to fight uh, cancer, because uh, at least in the pancreatic cancer and probably other other cancers, uh, they mask themselves from being identified by our immune system if we can remove that masking then our immune system can recognize that there's a foreign invader in our body and attack it themselves and then then you're not worried about uh you know with with chemo or some external agent you've always got side effects horrible side effects i I know but if you yes if you can get your own immune system to do the fighting you eliminate that 
So what would you tell people as we wrap up here? You're the advocacy hope. or You're the advocacy giving people hope. Um, you're on the forefront. You're on the front lines fighting the battle to get funding, to find research, and to keep it front and center on people's mind. To, partly to raise money, partly to raise awareness, and partly to move the needle, move the ball down the field. We'll use some sports analogies here. You're, you're the one that keeps pushing it. You and others like you. Give us a current state of advocacy. We're behind the curve. We're ahead of the curve. We're, we can always use more, but I don't, I don't know. We, give, we can always use more. Um, I know in the last five or six years, it seems like we've developed more of a bipartisan team that supports this funding. That's a so phenomenal step in itself there, yeah, yeah in a world where two tides don't agree on anything anymore. Exa- yeah, exactly. Uh, so the message is there is hope. We're heading in the right direction. Just the uh, statistic you mentioned earlier, where we've doubled the survival rate from 5 to 10% in the last uh, several years. I mean, it's still a small number, but when you think about it as well, we doubled it. And if we double it, uh, double what, it again. Three, three more times, we'll, we'll pretty much yeah. be there. What would you tell to somebody who's living this right now? What's your takeaway? Uh, certainly go to places like Pancane. There's support. There's information. Tune into the show. We'll come back over and over again. But beyond that, what's your quick tip, thought? Uh, yeah, yeah, quick tip is, is always have hope, you know, be realistic. I, in fact, when I was in a uh, support group early on, another of the gentlemen that was in there gave me a uh, tip that I've always remembered is don't have false hope, but don't have false hopelessness either. Ah. So be re- be realistic. Don't be Pollyanna. But uh, a lot of people do extremely well for a long period of time with this. So and you just do everything know. you can. You just you don't just, know. You just don't know. Well, you do know. You know a lot. We appreciate you coming in. We hope you'll come back with some updates along the way, and I hope we can get some actual researchers on the phone or in here to talk about what they're doing or what the hope is for finding a cure or uh, better treatment programs or early detection programs. Lots of areas we can look for hope here, and we hope to bring you updates on all that along this journey. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, you've been listening to Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And if you're dealing with it, then we urge you to contact Patient Services, 877, the number 2 Pan can. That's 8772 P A N C A N for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Start there. They can uh, put you in touch with others and help you answer your question and guide you to support groups and share some real information and, and hold your hand, help you through it. Beyond that, if you'd like to share your story, if you know somebody who would, we're always looking for stories. That's what this is all about. This is not a solo journey. There are many around us it affects, and there are many been before that are happy to help guide the way. Contacts us here at OC Talk Radio. So thanks for listening for all of us here at OC Talk Radio, Orange County's community radio station, streaming live from University of California's Beale Applied Innovation Center. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Thursday.